It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Coming to you from the heart of Silicon Valley, this is CUDA Confidential, the official podcast of the San Jose Barracuda, AHL affiliate of the San Jose Sharks. Now, here's your host, Nick Nolenberger. Hello, Barracuda fans, and welcome to another edition of CUDA Confidential. I'm Nick Nolenberger. In this episode, we'll recap the Barracuda's last two games against the San Diego Goals with highlights. And we'll chat with Barracuda defenseman Cole Mober. The Barracuda had seven days off for the All-Star break and returned back to the ice on Friday, February 11th to wrap up a four-game road trip in San Diego against the Goals. Friday's game also marked the final meeting in Southern California against the Ducks affiliate and the first of consecutive games against the Goals. After a scoreless opening period, Hunter Drew would clean up a rebound off the end wall and slide it into the open net at 2.32 to get things started. Here at two and a half minutes gone in the middle frame. There's a shot for the point. Save me. came off the back wall to score. the second period but just 27 seconds later Evan Weinger on a beautiful individual effort would tie the game up at 1-1 them resulted in wins they dropped five straight here comes Weinger trying to muscle his way on net he scores Evan Weinger what an individual effort he gets under Cody Curran and he cleans up his own rebound and the Barracuda level to score at two second period. What an effort there by the SoCal native Evan Weinger. At 427, goals forward Brent Gates Jr. would give San Diego back a one-goal lead. Less than 30 seconds later, Evan Weinger able to find the back of the net. They've given assists to Bedini, and, and here's a chance and they score. The San Diego Bulls take their lead back. Brent Gates Jr. from the low slot. Assisted on San Diego's first goal. And Brent Gates Jr. able to slide one in from the low slot. But less than four minutes later, at 8.02, Jaden Holmgawaks would finish off a partial break for his 12th of the year and his fourth in his many games. And it's skated in by Weatherby. Left wing side, Holmgawaks works in the backhand. He scores! Hobgawak says his fourth goal over his last four games, a forehand, backhand finish. 
finish as he beats Dostal inside that far post and we're tied back up at 2-2. Unfortunately, just 17 seconds after Holmgawak's goal, Brent Gates Jr. would again find the back of the net to put the goals back on top. Threw it right in front of Letary. Couldn't control now. One-timer, they score again. And the goals take the lead back. It's Gates who finds the twine for the second time in this game. He parked on that right flank and he fires one through. Alexei Melnichuk. And Melnichuk's now giving up three goals in this second period of five shots. And Gates Jr. has his second of the game. And Melnichuk got over and it beat him under the left arm, kind of right through him. The Barracuda would outshoot the goals 36-13 in the final two periods and 22-6 in the third. But they couldn't spell goaltender Lukas Dostal and Greg Prince would seal the victory with an empty netter at 1916. Ryan Merkley, now Nick Merkley leaves for Ryan, back for Blickville, gets through traffic, backhander, and it's turned aside by Dostal and lifted back from center. The rivalry would shift to Northern California on Wednesday night for the final meeting on the eight-game season series between the Barracuda and the Goals. In the opening period, Brent Gates Jr. scored twice on Friday would get things started at 317. For the former Canuck, near side now for Gooley. Back for Rafferty, fakes the shot. Top left circle, Tracy waits it out. One-timer, and they score! Off the post and in, and the Goals draw first blood. It comes three minutes in. 23 seconds in to the first period of Brent Gates Jr. Well, he scored twice on Friday. He's got another one here. He put it off the iron and in. Scored in a similar spot in the win on Friday. But the Barracuda would go on to a four-minute power play after Bryce Kindop was called for high sticking at the 12.39 mark. While on the manpower advantage, Joachim Blickfeld would light the lamp for his 15th of the year, snapping a six-game goalless drop. Pulls the trigger, blocked before it got to Dostal. Back to the point, Kinyasev. Near side for Blickfeld. Rister, he scores! Joachim Blickfeld off the right side beats Lukas Dostal just inside the near post. And the Barracuda have drawn even at one apiece, and it comes on the power play. Blickfeld just atop that right circle, had a man screening in front. That was Jake McGrew. With the game tied at 1-1 and early in the second period, former Henderson Silver Knight forward Lucas Elvinus would give San Diego back its lead at 4:43. Trapezoid, Elvinus run into by Shomolevsky and was down for a moment. Now, here's a chance for Elvinus, and he scores. Lucas Elvinus gets it from Vinny Letary and cashes in. Well, he must have not been too hurt. He was shaken up for a moment, got back to his feet, and because he had fallen down and was hurt for a moment, everybody kind of forgot about him. 
And the Barracuda can't clear. It's played back to him. And he's all alone. A second attempt after initial save. And Lucas Salvinus has his third goal as a member of the San Diego Goals. And the former Silver Knight snaps an eight-game goalless drought. Then at 10-16, Hunter Drew had scored on Friday, would make it 3-1 goals with his eighth of the season. And the goals are going to come out of their own defending zone. Hunter Drew has some real estate down the wing. Drew to the left side for Axel Anderson. The puck along the goal line, and they score. Hunter Drew finds a way to get it beyond Alexei Melnichuk, who did his absolute most valiant effort to hold it out, but it ends up bouncing off of him and in. At 3.29 of the second period, the goals would go up 4-1 to one, as Greg Prince would tip in a point shot for his sixth of the season. Back to the point. Shot from distance, and they score. Tip pass Alexei Melnichuk. Greg Prince, I believe, is going to be the one credited with the goal as it's off of his stick and past Alexei Melnichuk and the goals didn't come on the power play, but they extend their lead. The goals would all but seal the victory at 3.30 of the third period. Again, Lucas Elvinus, who was able to find the twine. That'll be the final game, that game on the 23rd in the month of February. Barracuda back in action after that, their first game of March, March 2nd. That's a makeup game. And it'll be played over at Shark Sites. There's a shot. We've got an injured Barracuda player. That's Evan Weinger who blocked the shot. Still down is Weinger. And they score. Well, Weinger's injured. Still feeling the effects. Is yet to get back to his feet. I don't know where that puck caught him, but clearly he's in a lot of pain. As here comes the athletic trainer, Will Leonard. And it's 5-1 San Diego. After the loss on Wednesday, the Barracuda have now dropped seven straight and continue to sit at the bottom of the AHL's Pacific Division. When we come back, Barracuda defenseman Cole Mober will join us on this edition of Cuda Confidential. Now, back to the action. Barracuda hockey continues now. Barracuda defenseman Cole Moberg is our latest guest. Cole, first of all, thank you for the time. How are things going? Ah, things are going good. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you for hopping on. This is your first year within the Sharks organization. You spent last year, your first full season of pro with the Rockford Ice Hogs in the American Hockey League. So how was adjusting to a new organization, adjusting to a new city? How has that all gone for you so far? Oh, well, it's gone very well. Um, I mean, obviously, when you get to a new city, meeting a bunch of new faces, uh, it can be hard. But I think I've been I've been accepted in here very well. It's made an easy transition. Um, coming over from Rockford to here, and it's made it a lot easier. I want to ask about last year. What hasn't been easy was given the fact that your first full pro season, you're playing within a pandemic. It's a shortened year. You basically play half the amount of games as you would have normally. So you don't get that halfway point where things really start to slow down. And then in year number two, you're in a new organization. You split some time between Orlando and San Jose, so you're in two different leagues. So just going back to your first taste of pro, how big of an adjustment was it last year, dealing with the pandemic, just trying to adjust to a new city and a new league and, and really kind of get comfortable with the Blackhawks as an organization? Oh, well, it definitely made it hard. Um, I mean, when you go to a new organization, you're trying to meet new people, uh, meet all the staff, and with all the COVID protocols, it's kind of hard to – be able to hang out with a bunch of guys away from the rink. Obviously, you're at the rink, you see the guys every day, but you don't really get to meet the guys and have those conversations where you get to know guys 
uh, away from the rink um, during the COVID time. So that kind of made it hard. But as we all started to get vaccinated and everything, we were able to then uh, start hanging out a little more. So it made it easier. Um, but then, I mean, obviously transferring to a new team at the start of this year, uh, kind of went back to square one, obviously uh, with the COVID protocols and everything being kind of lowered a little bit, we we're able to see each other. So it was a lot easier to to meet people and coming down here for development camp, got to meet the staff there and then coming back through training camp and everything, get meet the staff and all the guys that will be around this year. So it made it a lot easier having the whole kind of almost like a regular season with everything before the season starting, you kind of get to meet the people going into it. So it made it a lot easier than going into it right into the middle of COVID, no camp and everything. You're just kind of getting right into it. So it's definitely a lot easier this year. Um, but it's been definitely a, a hard start to the pro career. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, even this year, although we've we've played somewhat of a normal schedule, we've had postponements and we've had games delayed, even from things like the ice malfunctioning uh, on the road. We had to get on the bus and, and have a game postponed. So there's always something that's gonna that's gonna provide a speed bump. But I guess the approach you've got to take is just taking it day by day. Um, I want to go back to you, where it all started for you. You're, you're native of uh, North Vancouver, uh, just uh, outside of the, the city of Vancouver. You grew up playing hockey there. What was life like growing up there? I know it wasn't quite right in the middle of the city, but you're pretty pretty close to a metropolitan area. What was it like growing up in North Vancouver? That was nice. Obviously, growing up, you're you're just outside of the city, but you still kind of have that big city feel, like you said. So obviously, I'm used to a lot of traffic, a lot of the big city feels. So, um, but then when I played junior and stuff, I went to a small city. So I mean, I've got the best of both worlds. Um, but it was I love it in Vancouver. You got the mountains, you got the ocean, you got everything you can need. So growing up there was uh, I was very lucky to be able to grow up there. What was it like this year going back to Abbotsford? It's about an hour outside of Vancouver, but your family finally got to see you play a professional game. You get to go back to your kind of your roots, back to the part of the country that you're used to. What was that like for you? That was amazing. Um, obviously, when I was in junior, I played eight hours away from home, but most of our games on the road were within two, three hours of Vancouver. So my parents were able to see a bunch. And then going into last year, they couldn't travel because of all the borders and stuff. So for them to get to see my their first act, uh, look at me in pro live uh, was pretty surreal, and I enjoyed that a lot. I know you have a sister, but you were the one who played hockey in the family. Your dad played a little bit. That's how he got you into the sport. What was your earliest hockey memory? How old were you when you first laced them up? Uh, I was probably on the ice when I was about three. Um, I'd probably say my first memory of skating would be with my grandpa and my grandpa knew nothing about hockey didn't even couldn't skate um, but he would always uh, take me to the rink and he'd put on the little spikes on the bottom of his shoes and then just walk around with me as I skated around so I'd say that's probably my first memory that I can remember of on the ice and then for hockey would be when I was probably five my dad coached me it would probably be my first team uh, when I was about five being that you grew up in a hockey hotbed like Vancouver, is it weird to come now live in a state like California and you play in a city where you've got an American League building being built as part of a facility that holds what's going to be six rinks? Does that kind of blow your mind that hockey has grown this much in California? I know you're used to being up in Canada where it's life, 
But to be in California and see this much hockey around here, is that kind of surprising to you? I wouldn't say necessarily surprising. Um, I mean, I walking in here, I didn't really know what to expect. So I didn't really have any expectations on what it was going to be like, what hockey was going to be like in, uh, in California. Um, obviously, I knew with the Sharks in Vancouver, I knew that the Sharks obviously had a great organization down here and stuff. So I knew there was some sort of hockey down here, but I didn't really know what to expect walking in, seeing a six, six ice facility and stuff like that. Um, but no, it's, it's definitely, um, from what I've heard and everything, it's grown a lot and, uh, I hope it keeps growing. So your dad is the one who got you into the game. Although you said that your grandfather was the one who first got you onto the ice, despite not having a background in the sport. What was the highest level that your dad played at? Was he a big Canucks fan? Like describe how we provided not only the sport to you and kind of introduced to you, but was there a fandom element to, to it as well? Uh, he, he played up, he played up to junior. Uh, he played junior hockey and then kind of called a career after that. Um, but it was just kind of something that I, I honestly chose. My dad never forced me into anything. Um, he wanted me to try everything. Obviously he, would have loved for me to play hockey, uh, but he never said that, never expressed that to me, kind of just let me choose. Um, but yeah, like he, when he grew up, I ended up when I was eight or nine, um, I actually switched to the club that he grew up playing at too. And that was when I, once I started playing hockey, that's one thing that he always wanted was for me to play at the same place that he did. And so that was kind of the, biggest thing that he he wanted and so I was able to do that and probably it's a great choice uh, for my career. So what program was that? Uh, the North Shore Winter Club. So that's where you were at was that prior to going on to the Western Hockey League? Yeah yeah so I played there from when I was eight or nine to 15. Were there any players who you were playing with at that time that have since gone on to play in the WHL and on to the pro level still guys that you keep in contact with that you played with then? Yeah no there's there's a bunch of guys that actually came out of that program within two, three years of me uh, that are playing pro now. There's a bunch of them that I played with or against in junior um, and a bunch of them that I still talk with every day. There's a workout group that I grew up playing with that I trained with all summer long and stuff. So no, it's been good. We're talking to Cole Moberg, Barracuda defenseman. Who was the player that you idolized as a kid? Who was the guy that you're like, this is who I want to be when I get older? Probably Drew Doughty be the guy I would say that I kind of watched first obviously for a Sharks fan it's not the D-man that you want to hear but um, that's probably the first D-man that I would say I kind of focused on um, and then another guy was probably Edler just being in Vancouver seeing him and stuff um, but yeah the biggest one was probably Dowdy. I think Sharks fans, although he's, they don't love him as an opponent, I think everybody respects Drew Doughty's game. And I see some parallels given the fact that you're mobile, you're looking to generate offense. Uh, that's kind of your mindset from the blue line. Have you ever had the type of the edge, would you say? Have you ever been a chirper like Drew Doughty, or is, that, uh, is your personality not quite fit that bill? No, I would say I, would say I definitely don't fit that. Um, I've... I always like to throw the odd chirp out there. And, and I kind of realized when I was in junior and when I was younger that once I started chirping and get into it, guys just kind of threw me off my game. So kind of got to stop that and just kind of focused on myself. 
Well, you can either fuel the fire of the opponent or you can maybe deter from your own game. Maybe it motivates you. But I've always been the same way when I played sports. I didn't want to motivate the opponent, so I wasn't going to say anything now. I think people are better at it than others, I guess. Yeah, there is definitely guys that can both fire up their opponent and fire up themselves while I do it. But I'm definitely the guy that will just fire up their opponent and take myself off my game. (laughs) At least you recognize that. I just avoid, avoid that. So I know there's lots and lots of players coming from the Vancouver region. You mentioned the youth hockey program that your dad played at, and then you went on to play at, and there's lots of guys playing pro. But as you look back, maybe it was a guy that you played with in the WHL, maybe even a guy you played with last year in Rockford. Uh, But during your career, who's probably the best player that you've ever played with? Probably one of the guys I would say with would be last year would be Cody Cody Franzen. Um, He's a guy that's obviously played 500-plus games in the NHL, He's had a long career of pro, pro hockey. And it's just the way he was able to take me under his wing last year. And there was a group of us. There was three, three of us that were two or 2000s. One was a 2001. And we spent a lot of time with him. And just kind of he worked with us at, at the end of every practice and just being able to watch him on a day-to-day basis and what, what it truly means to be a pro and and from seeing it from every level that he's played at to then bring it down to us was probably the best thing that I've been able to. So to see a guy like Cody Franzen, who's been playing pro hockey for north of 10 years, they're almost rare at this point in the American Hockey League because it's gotten to be such a young league. But how valuable are guys like uh, Cody Franz, and you can even look at your current team, a guy like Mark Alt, as a veteran player who's been there and done that, and the fact that they're willing to kind of take you under their wing kind of says a lot about them too, right? Yeah, no, it's huge. Um, obviously, when you're for a young guy to come into pro, it's not an easy league to join into. Um, obviously, there's a lot of learning curves um, and stuff. So to have an older guy that will take you under their wing and just kind of show you what it's like being a pro. And, and obviously, like in junior, you live with a billet family. You have someone cook for you. And and everything where now you go into pro, you're living on your own or you're living with another roommate, but you're kind of, everything's, now you do it yourself. So to have a guy that's been around for a while, uh, be able to be there and kind of show me the ropes for my first year, it helped a lot. So being the guy who grew up in Vancouver, you've got the Giants locally, a Western Hockey League team, it's saturated with Western League teams. Is that always a goal that you tried to set as a hockey player was I want to get to that level, or is that something that didn't kind of come until later in your career? Uh, I would say it probably came later in my career. Um, when I was younger, I was, I was I was a fairly good player, but I was never the top of my age group, never the one getting the invites to all these camps and everything. So I didn't really know exactly how far I could, could go with it. Um, I just kind of went to the rink every day, enjoyed it and wanted to work my hardest and, and see how long I could go. But I didn't know how long exactly it would take. So when I finally got the opportunity to go to a camp and when I was 14, started talking to WHL teams right before the draft and stuff, then I kind of started to sink in like, oh, maybe I could go to this next level. And obviously, as a kid, you grow up and you want to make it to the NHL. But the reality of it, there's only 0.1% of kids make it. So you got to kind of think realistically here. So when I was, when I was 14 and that started coming, I kind of realized that, Hey, maybe like I can make a career out of this and stuff. So then that's kind of when I would say kind of set in and started realizing that this was a sport for me. 
So correct me, correct me if I'm wrong. You were not drafted into the Western Hockey League. So you latched on with Prince George. How did that all come to be? How you ended up with the Cougars? Um, so I actually, when I was 15, my first WHL camp, I went to Calgary. Um, I talked to them the most prior to the draft and stuff. So I was just like, well, they have the most, almost invested interest in me leading up to the draft. So I might as well go there and see where it goes. So I went there, rookie camp, made main camp, got sent home right after the three games for the main camp. And, and I was really happy about that. And then they're like, oh, we'll stay in contact with you, all this. So I was like, perfect. So I went back to my uh, club team and then a month and a half into the season, I got a call from the GM in Prince George and he was um, that we're going to list you. And I had no idea what that really meant and stuff. And it was basically, they just have my rights um, and stuff. And so I was now a part of that organization. So I was like, that's a cool start. And then it just kind of built from there. Did you ever have to take a look on the map and see where Prince George was or were you already familiar? No, I definitely had to look up where Prince George was. So I, I looked no it idea. up before our interview, eight hours north of Vancouver. And correct me if I'm wrong, is it the most northern CHL team there is? I, I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm not exactly sure where the Alberta cities exactly sit on the map, but I'm, I'm, it's definitely up there. It looks from the map and the logos, the ones I looked at on Google, it looks just a hair above Edmonton, which yeah, would be it's, the, it's pretty similar with Edmonton. Yeah, so pretty like close, right, right around there. And but then you look, you look at the other teams, whether it's in the OHL or Quebec League. I mean, it's way higher than any of those teams. Yeah. Yeah. So what was life like? You're going from basically a city kid in Vancouver to eight hours north into a small town like Prince George. How did life kind of shift? And what was life like living out there? It definitely was different. I mean, the first the first biggest change came when it hit November and it's now minus 30 um, Celsius outside and I'm freezing cold. <laughs> um, I mean, you're also... It was nice being five minutes away from the rink, five minutes away from every teammate I had. So it was nice that it was close, but it was definitely a shock to wake up every morning and you'd have a foot of snow in your car and it was freezing cold. Um, so that kind of made it an adjustment for sure coming from Vancouver where you live in rain, but it doesn't get super cold. Um, so that was a huge adjustment. But I mean, I enjoyed it up there as you... As you go on with your career, I was up there for four years. You have to, you find things to do. And there was a bunch of teammates that I had that were there for the entire four years that I was there. So we got super close and we were able to go out and do different things outside and stuff. So it was a lot of fun. For people who are not familiar with billets and the billet system, when you join a junior hockey team, you basically live with a family that billet, you know, multiple players on the team. You know, it depends on how big the house is, but what was it like kind of moving in with a new family and basically being taken in by a new family, living in a new town? It was definitely strange for sure. Um, I mean, I get up there, you live in a hotel for a few nights through training camp and then they're kind of like, Oh yeah, now we're going to go find you billets. And then you basically get a phone number, a name and you go up and the address and you go up to your billets, you get in contact with them and you, kind of walk into their house and now that's your home. Like it's, it was definitely an adjustment, um, but my belts were amazing. I was with them the entire time and I wouldn't, wouldn't want to be with any other belts. Did they ask you like the first day, 
is there any food allergies you have? Is there any favorite meal that you want? Did they, or did you just move in and it's kind of like, Hey, you're welcome. You're part of the family. And you know, it is, it is what we got. Yeah. It, it is a little bit like that. Um, I mean, they obviously ask what you like, what you don't like. They don't want to cook anything that you don't like. Um, my belt had three kids the day I moved in and a week later they had four. So um, my mom was dealing with a lot of kids plus myself and my adult brother. So there were six kids in that house. So it was, it was a lot of work, but, uh, no, they were good. You kind of got in there. Once you started meeting them, getting comfortable with them, they started asking the questions and you tell them what you don't like, what you're allergic to, what you don't want to eat, what you want to eat and everything. And it kind of gets all figured out. So I know you're a big golfer when you're not playing, you like to golf and, and that's the case for a lot of hockey players, but I always think of golf personally, it's either like you can hit the driver, you can hit the irons or you're a good putter. Nobody, unless you're on the tour, you probably don't have all three elements to your game. So how would you describe yourself as a golfer? Well, I definitely can't hit my driver. My irons are fairly good. I'd say my strongest thing is definitely probably my wedges. Um, I love to use my wedges in every possible situation I can. Um, so I definitely say my wedge game is probably my best and the irons, my putting and drive and driving definitely need work. So you've been with the team now for, we've been going for almost five, I think five, six months almost now. Um, who's the best golfer on the team? And have you had a chance to get on the links quite a bit when you've had downtime? Yeah, no, I've been out, I've been out quite a bit. Uh, it's been nice. Um, but the best one that I have seen, oh, I don't know. That's a tough question. I've golfed with like the same people every time. So it's a hard question to answer because I don't know what a lot of the other guys are like. Um, but Cheech, Cheech is a pretty good golfer. Give him that. Cole Moberg, we uh, can't thank you enough for the time, man. It's been great getting to know you this year. It's been fun having you join the organization. Best of luck down the final stretch. And thank you again for the time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. A big thank you to Cole Moberg for joining us on this edition of CUDA Confidential. A reminder, the Barracuda are back on the ice this upcoming Saturday in Texas to take on the Texas Stars at 5 o'clock Pacific time. We'll have pregame coverage in the Sharks Audio Network beginning at 4.30, and you can watch the game on AHLTV.com. That'll do it for this episode of CUDA Confidential. I'm Nick Nolenberger saying thanks for listening, and so long until next time.